0: Chapter Thirteen of The Ocean Waves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan. The Ocean Waves by Thomas Main Reed. Chapter Thirteen: The Sucking Fish. The fish that had thus singularly fallen into their hands was, as Ben had stated, the sucking fish, echinus ramora, one of the most curious creatures that inhabit the sea, not so much for any peculiarity in appearance as from the singularity of its habits. Its appearance, however, is sufficiently singular and looking upon it one might consider the creature as being well adapted for keeping company with the ferocious tyrant of the deep of whom it constantly attends its body is black and smooth its head of a hideous form and its fins short and broadly spread the mouth is very large with the lower jaw protruding far beyond the upper and it is this that gives it the cast of feature if we may be permitted to speak of features in a fish both lips and jaws are amply provided with teeth, and the throat, palate, and tongue are set profusely with short spines. The eyes are dark and set up high. The sucker, or buckler, upon the top of its head, consists of a number of bony plates set side by side, so as to form an oval disc, and armed along the edges with little tentacles or teeth, as the boy William have it observed. His companion account of the creature was perfectly correct, so far as it went, but there are many other points in its history, quite as curious as those which the sailor had communicated. The fish has neither swim-bladder nor sound, and as, moreover, its fins are of the feeblest kind. It is probably on this account that it has been gifted with the power of adhering to other floating bodies by way of compensation for the above-named deficiencies, the slow and Prowling movements of the white shark render it particularly eligible for the purpose of the sucking fish, either as a resting place or as a means of conveyance from place to place. And it is well known that the shark is usually attended by several of these singular satellites. Other floating objects, however, are used by the sucking fish, such as pieces of timber, the keel of a ship, and even rests itself against the sides of submerged rocks. As the sailor had stated, it also adheres to whales, turtles, and larger kinds of albacore. Its food consists of shrimp, marine insects, fragments of molluscous animals, and the like. But it obtains no nutriment through the sucking apparatus, nor does it in any way injure the fish to which it adheres. It only makes use of the sucker at intervals, at other times swimming around the object it attends and looking out for prey of its own choice, and on its own account, while swimming, it propels itself by rapid lateral movements of the tail, executed awkwardly and with a tortuous motion. It is itself preyed upon by other fish, cidions and albacores, but the shark is merciful to it as the pilot fish and never interferes with it. Sucking fish are occasionally seen of a pure white color associated with the black ones, and also attending upon the shark they are supposed to be merely varieties or albinos when sharks are hooked and drawn on board a ship the sucking fish that have been swimming around them will remain for days or even weeks following the vessel through all her courses they can be taken by a hook and line baited with a piece of flesh and they will seize the bait when let down in the stillest water in order to secure them however it's necessary, after they have been hooked, to jerk them quickly out of the water, else they will swim rapidly to the side of the ship and fix their sucker so firmly against the wood as to defy every attempt to dislodge them. There are two well-known species of sucking fish, the common one described, and another of larger size found in the Pacific, E. Chanus australis. The latter is better shaped fish than its conjure, can swim more rapidly, and is altogether of a more active habit. Perhaps the most interesting fact is it being the same fish as known to the Spanish navigators as the remora, of which was found by Columbus in possession of the natives of Cuba and Jamaica, tamed and trained to catching of turtles. Their mode of using it was by attaching a cord of palm sinnet to a ring already fastened around the tail at the smallest part between the ventral and caudal fins was then allowed to swim out to sea while the other end of the cord was tied to a tree or made fast to a rock upon the beach the remora being thus set just as one would set baited hook was let free to follow its own instincts which usually were to fasten its sucking plates against the shell of one of the great sea turtles so famed at all normanic feasts and prized by modern gourmets and equally relished by the ancient cuban Cosecches. At intervals the turtle-catcher would look to his line, and when the extra strain upon it proved that the remora was en rapport with the turtle, he would haul it in, until the huge Caycellian was brought within striking distance of his heavy club, and thus would be the capture effected. Turtles of many hundred weights could be taken, for the pull upon the remora being towards the tail, and therefore in a backward direction the sucking fish could not be detached unless by the most violent straining. It is a fact of extreme singularity that a similar method of capturing turtles is practiced on the coast of Mambazique at the present day, and by people who could never have had communications with the aborigines of the West Indian Islands, much less have learned from them this curious craft of angling with a fish. Smaller species of the sucking fish is found in the Mediterranean, Remora. It is well known to ancient writers, though, like most creatures gifted with any peculiarity, it was oftener the subject of fabulous romance than real history. It was supposed to have the power of arresting the progress of a ship by attaching itself to the keel and pulling in a contrary direction. A still more ridiculous virtue was attributed to it, and the belief that if any criminal in dread of justice could only succeed, in inducing the judge to partake of a portion of its flesh he would be able to obtain a long delay before the judge could pronounce the verdict of his condemnation end of chapter thirteen recording by kenneth